If you would, turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. We'll start the first verse there of that chapter. We have been looking at an overall theme of making preparation for heaven. Last night, we looked at it from the aspect of reminding ourselves what the scriptures teach regarding heaven and its glory and the beauty and all that will be there. Uh, We touched on the idea that was found in the book of Revelation of the joy and the uh, happiness that uh, is found within heaven. We're going to look at something somewhat similar tonight, but from a little different angle, if you will. And I hope that by the end of the lesson, you will have a better understanding of what I'm trying to uh, get across. Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning at verse 1, the prophet writes, At the same time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when I went to give him rest, the Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Again, I will build you and you shall be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. You shall again be adorned with your tambourines and shall go forth in the dances of those who rejoice. You shall plant vines on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and eat them as ordinary food. For there shall be a day when the watchman will cry on Mount Ephraim, Arise and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chiefs of the nations, Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country, and gather them from the ends of the earth among them, the blind and the lame, the women with child, and the one who labors with child together, a great throng shall return there. They shall, keep, they shall come with weeping and with supplications. I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of water in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Now, you're not familiar with the prophecies of Jeremiah, what Jeremiah is letting these individuals know is that those that have been off in captivity, the remnant is going to return. They're going to come back to their homeland. We touched on this very early uh, in our studies by looking at the book of Nehemiah after they had gotten back and the things that transpired in Nehemiah's day. Well, Jeremiah is the prophet that is telling them God is going to take his people. He's going to take them out of captivity. He's going to bring them back. God, through the prophet Jeremiah, is promising a deliverance from captivity. They're going to be able to go back to their own land, the land of Samaria, the land of Judea. And we know that after 70 years of being captive in Babylon, that God did indeed deliver his people just as he had promised. And just like he had delivered the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt, 
he brought them out of bondage from Babylon. And during that time, there were psalms that were written. And they were sang as a way to rejoice because of what God had done for these people. I want to show you three different psalms. One in particular that we will take a uh, special interest in. But turn over the book of Psalms to Psalm uh, 120. Psalm 120. The psalmist writes, In my distress I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, or what shall be done to you, you false tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom tree. Woe is me that I dwell in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. A way to remember and think about what we see in these poetic words, uh, these, uh, these uh, very, uh, uh, the words here in this, in this poetic language of the psalmist is to think about it from the idea of those who were being held captive. It has been described as the psalm of the crying captive. They're crying out for help. This is where they find themselves and they want some assistance. Then we go on into Psalm 121, and the psalmist writes, I will lift up my eyes to the hills, from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even evermore. And so here we have the idea of what is, can be expressed as the trusting traveler. As they're making their way out of captivity, as they're making their way back to their homeland, they're praising God. They're giving thanks they're expressing their faith in Almighty God. They are reminding themselves of the trust that they have. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in. God is on their side as they make their way back to their homeland. And now, Psalm 122. Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Your feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, Peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord your God, I will seek your good. This is the one that I want to pay special attention to. And as we think of, as we've read through here, and we'll think a little further about what is being described here, just as an overall theme, think about the joy that they have of being in the city of Jerusalem. Being in that 
well-known area, being in their homeland, that capital city, if you will. So let's think a little further about what we see in this psalm itself. And when we look at verses 1 and 2, we can see that there is great joy in being there. A familiar verse, Psalm 122 and verse 1, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Just imagine these people. They're glad to be back home. They've heard stories of what Jerusalem was. There may have been some that could remember that. They're glad to have their feet back in familiar territory. What a great joy it must have been to enter that city again and see that city, the joy that they're expressing. And then in verses 3 through 5, we see that they have great esteem for the city of Jerusalem. They're looking around the, the city of Jerusalem. It, Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together. This idea of the houses sitting right next to each other. There's a closeness associated with this city. They're relying on each other's because of their compactness and their being next to each other's. This is where the tribe of Israel goes. You recall that in the law of Moses... There were feasts and, and, and uh, uh, things set up uh, that the people of Israel would return to Jerusalem for sacrifices and such. This is something that all of Israel would do. All of Israel would go to Jerusalem. This is where the tribes go up. This is a common place for all of Israel. And then we think about the things that occurred there in the city of Jerusalem. And the honor that they would place upon that city because of who had been there. This is where the kings ruled. You know, in their minds, King David, that was a great man. That's where his place, his house was. And I think we can we can see that and 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 even in our own modern days when we go to places we we look at things and we go to places and go oh so and so great general this is where he was we had a, a chance to go to uh, uh the place where washington and his men crossed the uh the the river to be able to stand there and say and think this is where these guys were and it's a place of honor. It's been set aside as a national park. And whether we're talking about somewhere crossing the Potomac River or the Cumberland Gap or, or even the Natchez Trace or the Trail of Tears, any place that we can see that we think back to and we recall the honor that is placed upon that location because of what took place there. The great esteem that we can place on things. That's what we need to have in our minds as we think about these Israelites as they return to Jerusalem, the great esteem that they had for that city. And then at the end of the song, we see their concern for the city of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. They're praying that they will prosper, that, that love the city of Jerusalem. Praying for peace within the walls. This peace, the shalom, the peace and the prosperity. They're praying for all the brethren. And what's interesting to think about 
is that the writer of this psalm is not asking that others would do that. He would be involved in that. I will now say, peace be within you. He didn't leave it up to the leaders. He didn't leave it up to the priest. It's saw as a personal responsibility of a being concerned for the city of Jerusalem. Now all these things that we're looking at, that we're reminded of from this psalm, the joy, the esteem, the concern, all of this is for the city of Jerusalem. All of this is for the capital city of Israel. All of this is for the place where worship was offered to Almighty God. All of this is the place where the kings ruled. All of this joy and esteem and concern was for the city of Jerusalem. All right. Now, let's pause for just a second and make some connections between the city of Jerusalem and the church today. Turn over your New Testament to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 22 and 23, the writer says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. What the writer is expressing, what he's describing is the church, the assembly, and notice that he uses the word the heavenly Jerusalem. Do you see a connection between Jerusalem and the church? I don't think it's a strange thing to think about making this connection. I think we can go on in further places within the scriptures. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12. As John is writing the letter to the church in Philadelphia, in verse 12, Revelation chapter 3, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Now we all know who the one is that overcomes. The one who overcomes, that's the godly, that's the righteous, that's the child of God, that's the Christians. And their name is written on the city of God. As we continue on, we looked at this just last night. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21 in verse 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. The new Jerusalem, that's the people of God, the tabernacle of men, that's the dwelling place of God. But notice the words that are used to describe that. He's making a connection with the word Jerusalem, with the city of Jerusalem. One more, Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul makes this comparison between the old and the new. In chapter 4, in verse 25 and 26, 
Let me start back at verse 21 of Galatians chapter 4. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. Which things are symbolic? For there are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Did you catch how the Apostle Paul is using this idea of of the allegory between the old Jerusalem, the Jerusalem below, the actual city of Jerusalem, connected with the one in bondage, Hagar. That refers back to the actual city of Jerusalem, the, the, the physical nation of Israel. But in verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free. That's connected with the son of promise, with Isaac and his descendants as spiritual Israel. But again, still using the word Jerusalem and the city to help correspond with God's people today within the church. And so, having made that connection, Can we take this idea and go back and use it to apply to what we see in Psalm 122? That did talk about literal Jerusalem. But are there some spiritual applications that we can make today within the church referring back to what we saw in Psalm 122? I would suggest to you absolutely we can. Think back to what we saw In Psalm 122, the joy that those individuals had in being able to come to that city. Do we express that kind of joy for the assembly of ourselves together? As we come together as a church, a local congregation... Can we make the spiritual application of, I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. They were talking about physical Jerusalem. Where's the house of the Lord now? It's in the church. It's in our local congregations. Am I, do I have that same kind of joy to come and to be with brethren? Friends, we get excited about any number of activities. I've had multiple conversations with Greg about kayaks and fishing. We get... We get excited about activities that we enjoy. Do we express that kind of joy toward the assembly of ourselves together? We get excited. We're in the the heat of football season. Whether it's football or or bass fishing or, or golf, people can get to the point where They're referred to as a fan, which is just short for fanatic. Are we a fan of worship services? Are we a fan of gathering together as a body of Jesus Christ? 
You know, there are times when people ask us to go and to do things, and we drop everything to go. Or we are so excited about this event or that occasion, and we plan our, we plan our whole schedules around it. We, we like having calendars with events on it. Do you have the worship services on your calendar to remind you something to look forward to because of the joy? Does that same kind of attitude that we use within our daily lives, does it, that attitude of joy spill over into our worship to God? We saw the joy that the Israelites had, physical Israel had, toward being inside the city of Jerusalem. Do we have that same kind of joy? being part of the local church, being part of the body of Christ? Do we have toward worship the same admiration that these people did of Jerusalem? How much value do you place upon the church? We saw the concern that those individuals had for the city of Jerusalem. Do we have that same kind of... Concern. How much do you admire the assembling of ourselves together? Do we respect the times that we're gathered together despite who may be there? Jerusalem was not a perfect place. And I, I hope I'm not sharing anything new, but there is no perfect congregation of God's people today because it's made up of people, imperfect people. Do we have the same admiration toward being together and coming to a place where God is? These people enjoyed, they, they, come, they knew Jerusalem as a place where the temple was, where they could go and worship God, where they could offer their sacrifices. Is that not what we do when we come together? We engage in acts of worship toward God. We sing songs of praise. We're teaching and admonishing each other through that. First day of the week, we come together and partake of the sacrifice. Remind ourselves of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Do we have that same type of admiration? Do our actions show a concern for the church? We go back to Psalm 122 and notice how many times that they're expressing pray for Jerusalem, pray for its peace, pray for its prosperity. Are we doing the same for the local church? Are we praying for its welfare? Are we praying for its growth? And again, not looking at others thinking that's their responsibility, that belongs to the preacher, that's for the men of the congregation, or do we all have a responsibility and see that we want to fulfill that responsibility? Are we willing to do something about it? Or do we just want to look at everyone else and say, that's their job to cause growth and prosperity? Psalm 122 is indeed an encouraging psalm. It tells the attitude of those that are coming out of captivity. As I think about the idea of us making preparation for heaven, we looked last night at the idea of 
what is going to exist in heaven. But we're not there yet. But we are here. And the church is heaven on earth. And we need to think about that aspect of our lives. And the joy that we want to express in in being a part of the local congregation, being a part of the body of Christ. To show our admiration for the blessings of being part of the body of Christ. And act in such a way as to be concerned about its growth. Being concerned about its spiritual well-being. That's how we can make preparation for being in heaven. Looking and knowing that how we feel about the local church will give us some indication of something better yet to come. We all like to talk a lot about, I hope that I'm there in heaven. I'm looking forward to that. Well, that's not here yet. Can we place that same kind of mindset upon things that are here now? I realize that this lesson has not been designed to teach what one must do in order to become a child of God. I'm confident that this congregation knows that the scriptures lay it out very clear what is expected of an individual to do in order to become a part of the body of Christ, to become a member of the church that Christ established. Starts with a belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Believing that He came to this earth and that He died a death on the cross and that He shed His blood for your sins. With that faith, we'll make a recognition of your faith in Jesus Christ by confessing that to others and repenting of those sins. And when that takes place, then you can be baptized. You can be immersed in water. You can have your sins cleansed, washed away. And begin living a life of a child in spiritual Israel and have that child-like mentality. I don't think it's a strange thing to think about the number of times that Jesus himself said, become as little children. To start our lives living in the church and doing what we can to cause it to grow. As we physically grow, we spiritually grow, which, as we've talked about already, causes a growth of the body of Christ when the individual members are growing. But there may be those here tonight that realize I don't have that kind of joy that I see of those Israelites. I don't have that kind of concern. I don't have that kind of admiration that we see illustrated. You need to think very seriously about how you present yourself and what your attitude is toward the church that Jesus Christ died for. It is vitally important. And it is a way that we can help prepare ourselves for living eternally with God. When by the grace and the mercy of God, we've been found faithful, we'll have that eternal joy. And we can express our admiration for God and for Jesus and the sacrifice that he gave. And have no worries of the concern at all because the glories of heaven 
will be ours to enjoy. If there are those that need to respond to the gospel call or those that need to make confession of sin in your life, here is the time and the opportunity that you have in your life. And we bid you come as together we stand and sing.